0: The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Lovely, right? Jesus talked about loving our enemies, and our enemies are often the ordinary people who are just mean and patient, judgmental. They may be self righteous, spiteful, or just happen to disagree with us for whatever reason. And we talked about the agape love, which is love for the unlovely, and agape is the power to love those who may not like us or love us back. And you know, I got a lot of questions regarding that sermon from quite a few folks and some emails, and they're all good questions because it tells me that you're listening for once and uh, you want to make a change and you seek a direction on how to make that change, and most of you could relate when I said, you know if it wasn't for people, I'd be a pretty good Christian. If I just didn't have to deal with folk and just follow Jesus, I'd be a pretty good Christian. But there was a main theme in all the questions, and is I'm demonstrating this love for that purpose, for that purpose, person who I consider to be an enemy or whatever, but they're still continuing to be disrespectful, they're still being mean they're still saying things that are not true and so forth. So, you know, they're not reciprocating back. So how do I handle that? And a lot of times, folks, we look at the other party, and it goes on for a while. And the reason it goes on for a while because we're focusing on them when God really wants this situation that you have to focus on you. And the reason is the the answer why you're expecting something in return with agape love. Isn't that what the Gentiles seek? Isn't that what the Pharisees did? They loved those that loved them back. Right? Agape love doesn't expect anything back. And that's what God is teaching us. And the Good Samaritan remembered this story. He picked him up, bandaged him, take him to the inn, and then he said, hey, you know, if he costs you anything more on my way back, I'll still pick up the tab. We don't see in that story where the Good Samaritan was trying to seek some reimbursement or some appreciation, right? So, we often focus on the other party. Kind of reminds me of a man I heard about. He went to a psychiatrist's office. He had scrambled eggs on his head and strip of bacon on his ear, and he told him, I'm here to see you about my brother. You know, we're always looking at the other party when we fail to see our own flaws. And what we should be doing in our life is comparing ourselves to the standard of God that Jesus is presenting here in the Sermon on the Mount. And there were lots of good questions, and it motivates me and helps me understand what folks in the congregation are going through and so forth. I mean, last time I had a lot of questions was when I preached about how to deal with anger. So I learned a lot about our congregation, a whole bunch of unloving and angry people. And before we get into our sermon, is there any hypocrites that are present with us today? Any hypocrites? Thank you. I'll be preaching to you, and especially I'll be preaching to those that did not raise your hand. Because... Here in verses one, really, but I'm going to read the first two verses. There's a whole lot of truth, and there's so much truth, and so much that I want to expand on in this sermon. Amount really, when you're preparing a message, I just don't know when to cut it off, right? Sometimes the microphone even goes off, like you know, trying to send me a signal, like it's time to end. But today will be kind of an introduction. And some of the reminders, since we had some time off, from chapter 5, and we're going to look at just one verse, verse 1 today in chapter 6. But let me read the first two verses. It says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. That they may have glory for men, I surely say to you, they have their reward. Now, I don't know what Bible translations most of you have, and I use the New King James Version, but as I studied more of chapter 6, that word charitable deed in in verse 1, I'm sorry, and there's also one charitable deeds in verse 2. And even though they look the same, they spelled the same, in the original context, they're not the same. A closer translation to that word, charitable deed, in verse 1, uh, we will find in the New American Standard Bible and the ESV version of the Bible. And it reads as this Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. And if you look at the New American Standard Bible, it also says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Beware. You do not do your righteous acts before men to be seen by them. So what that opens up and deals with is hypocrisy. Right? I heard about a story about a man who was desperate to make some money. And he saw an ad for a job at the zoo to feed animals. By the time he got there, the job was already taken. The manager said, I'm sorry, the job has been fulfilled, but I do have an idea because our gorilla just recently passed away, and you look like a large and fit man. Would you be willing to put on the costume of a gorilla and pretend to be a gorilla while we get a new one he said we'll pay you a lot of money for it cuz we get a lot of attractions for our gorillas and he agreed he agreed he was making good money and he was enjoying his job and acting like a gorilla but one day he was swinging on a rope and kind of swung swing over and fell into the lion's cage and he didn't know what to do. If he's going to start talking, asking for help, he's good. everybody knows he's going to be a phony, right? So he sees this lion walk, walking towards him. He doesn't know what to do, so he kind of steps back, and the lion continues, and he finally yells, Help! The lion got closer and said, Hey, man, be quiet, or we'll, or we'll both get fired. You know, that's what a lot of Christians do. We pretend something that we're not. We're putting on an act. We're parading our righteousness for the world to see how righteous we are. But how are you when you go home? You know, you might look at me as a pastor, but ask my wife. She'll point out all the flaws that I have. We're parading our righteousness, especially if we're around people who are we consider holy, Right? One time we, my wife and I was invited to a dinner party and it was one of those fancy dinner parties, you know, where they have waiters. But where I come from is cornbread and chicken, you know. So I'm sitting there looking at the table and they've got like three forks. I'm like, why do I need three forks? Got two knives. I don't know why we need two knives. So I'm kinda intimidated. You know, and this people started eating and this man who's hosting the dinner got kinda upset because we didn't say grace yet before we are eating the food. And you can tell those people don't pray before they eat, you know? And he says, we have a man of robe up on us, so he will say a prayer. So I'm like, okay. Bow my head and we wait in the silence. And, you know, I look up. I guess I was the man of robe. Somebody told him I was a pastor, so he felt it was necessary to say grace before they actually eat. We're parading righteousness or pretending to be something, and we're really... Phonies. And if you read the Bible, you know that Lord seeks real, genuine, authentic devotion of the heart. You know, Jesus is not interested of these outside things. Whenever you look humble or you look holy, you know, you carry your Bible to you look, you speak Christianese. And the Pharisees of Jesus' time, they always put on a show. And as we will study these 18 verses, you know, in verse 18, he says, so you do not appear to men to be fasting. So that's what they cared about when they fasted. And we'll talk about what a fast is. But they, when they did this deed, which is a righteous deed, but it had the wrong motive, they wanted to be seen by men. But he's saying, you need to be seen by your father. They didn't care about that. And folks, if you open up scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, you will find all kinds of hypocrites. Hypocrites in Genesis, Revelations in the middle. There were hypocrites when the world started. There will be hypocrites when the world ends. There are hypocrites in every form of religion, including the genuine Christianity, too. Do tell, right? There were hypocrites among the twelve. The time was it was a church, a large church, pastor was preaching about hypocrites. And he said there was one hypocrite among the 12. And he said, Let's do a count off. And every 12th one is a hypocrite so we can see how many hypocrites are here tonight. And if you say you're not, you're a hypocrite. Because we all display hypocrisy once in a while, even we like it or not. And God dealt with Israel through the prophet Amos. And he said this. In Amos five verses twenty one to twenty four says, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and you grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fat and peace offerings. Take them away from me, the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody you stringed instruments. But let justice run down like a river, like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. In other words, what God is saying here, look, all those items that I introduced to you guys, he invented all these feasts, all these rituals. But he says, I despise all of them. Why? Because they falsified their purpose. They Maintained external, but the internal was vacant. And that's hypocrisy. It's to show outward without the inward reality. And folks, this word hypocrisy, hypocrite, I'm sure most of you know, and it's in verses 2, 5, and 12, I'm sorry, 2, 5, and 16 He accuses and tells them not to be like the hypocrites, and hypocrites really are actors. They put on a mask. They play a part that isn't truth in their life, right? Most of the actors that you see, really, they're hypocrites. They play a role in the movies. And look at verse 1 again. It says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. So, you're trying to put on an impression, well, you maybe are looked upon as holy, you're really pious, but really, you're a spiritual phony. Listen to what Isaiah says, and really, it's kind of identical to what Amos says. And Isaiah 1, verses 11 through 18 says, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of the bulls or lambs of goats when you come to appear before me. Who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Saying, what are you why are you trampling door my doorstep here? Bring no more futile sacrifices, incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure, iniquity and sacred meetings, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates, they tr- are trouble to me, I am weary in bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers, I will not hear, your hands are full of blood, and then he tells them, wash yourselves, Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. And then verse 18 says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they should be as wool. Again, he says, Everything that I introduced... Everything you're doing in church, everything I've commanded, I instructed in your religion, I despise it all. Because it's phony. And until your hearts are made white as pure as snow, as wool, we was repeat here. I don't want nothing to do with you. Don't even come to trample on my courts. You know, I find it interesting, Jesus confronted a lot of sin during his three-and-a-half-year ministry here on earth, right? He confronted all kinds of sin. Remember, for example, um, the woman that was caught in adultery? You know, she was thrown before Jesus and the religious elite says, hey, the law says she has to be stoned, right? They forgot to bring the man, but... They said, the law has, says they have to be stoned. And then they turn to Jesus and say, what do you say, Jesus? That's what the law says. And we all remember he started drawing something on the ground. And he said, who's without sin? Let them cast the first stone. And all of a sudden, from the oldest to the youngest, everybody went away, right? He's confronting sin here. And then he turns to the woman and says, Where are your accusers? And she says, I don't see any. He says, Neither do I. But he says, Go and sin no more. You guys remember that story? Jesus is confronting sin. So he confronted a lot of sin. But Jesus never did he like rebuke any sinner like he rebuked hypocrisy. I mean, you can turn to chapter 23. We're not going to look at it, but you can turn to chapter 23 of the book of Matthew. In almost every other verse, Woe to you hypocrites, scribes, Pharisees. Woe to you hypocrites, scribes, Pharisees. And all because, in verse 5 of that chapter, it says, Because all your works that you do are to be seen by men. You see, folks, even doing a good deed, like coming to church with the wrong motive becomes useless. So if you come to church just to say, hey, this person's holy, they always show up, go to church every Sunday. But if that's the reason you're doing it, might as well not show up because it's pointless. You're doing it to be seen by them. And hypocrisy. Oh, God hates it. God hates it, folks. Look what he says of Israel in Isaiah 9:17. It says, Therefore the Lord will have no joy in their young men, nor have mercy on their fatherless and widows. And he says, This is of Israel, right? He says, For everyone is a hypocrite and an evildoer. This is how God describes them. But look how they describe themselves. If you go to Isaiah 65:5, and this is continual God saying, This is what Israel describes. Is saying about themselves. He says, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than you. And God says, they are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day. So there, he's saying, you're nothing but hypocrites and evildoers, and they're saying to other people, like, hey, don't touch me, you might contaminate me, you know. I'm holier than you. And God says, that's just smoke up into my nose. You guys ever get smoke into your nose? You know, I have this... I think the smoke is attracted to me. Every time we do a campfire or we go on a vacation, we did a, you know, one of those beach fires. Anywhere I move, it just follows me. You know, I move this way. Just, it's not a pleasant experience when smoke gets into your face and your nostrils. And God hates hypocrites. In Job 8.13, we read, "Sore are the paths of all who forget God and hope of all of the hypocrites shall perish. There is no hope. Job 27, 8, kind of the same thing. For what is the hope of the hypocrite? Though he may gain much. Yeah, you might fool people. You might gain much here materially on earth. But then he says, if God takes away his life. In Job thirty-six, thirteen, we read the hypocrites in heart. They store up wrath. They're just collecting wrath. And one day... It's going to be due. You know, there's a fable, Aesop's fable. I don't know if you guys heard of it. It's the wolf that pretended to be a sheep because he was hungry. He said, I'll just pretend to be a sheep and go into the sheep flock. But at the same time, the shepherd got hungry. And he said, I'm going to eat the fattest sheep there is. And it just happened to be that the wolf turned out to be the fattest sheep. And he killed it, but then he realized it was a wolf. And that's what's going to happen to people. What the shepherd here did unintentionally, God is going to do intentionally with the hypocrites. God judges hypocrisy. And even in the New Testament, in Mark 7, verses 6 through 7, it says, Jesus talking. and he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? So, he was talking, Isaiah was talking about the hypocrites back then. And now he's saying, Not much changed since Isaiah's time. He prophesied about you and said, People honor me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching the doctrines, the commandments of men. Isaiah said, People honor me. They give me lip service. They have substituted God's divine commandments to the they lowered it to the standard where they can keep it where their human traditions and became really a system of hypocrisy. There were hypocrites in Israel, hypocrites in Judah, everywhere. And they're hypocrites in the church. You know, really if you look at the book of Acts, the church was born in the Book of Acts in Acts two, chapter two. By chapter 5, where they got to some hypocrites. And Ananias and Sapphira, do you remember that story? Where they lied to the Holy Spirit. They could give a lot. They had an option. They could give a lot. They could give nothing. They could give some of their money. Nothing was really required of them. But they decided to act as though they were giving it all. Right? Because... Other people were doing it, so they wanted to see be seen as their sacrificials when they're giving, that they're giving it all, but really they were lying. They were hypocrites. And God struck them dead right there. And you would think that would fix hypocrisy, right? You're like, hey, God judges it. But no, because Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 4, 1 and 2 says, Now the Spirit expresses, says, In the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirit and doctrines of demons. And how they doing, doing it? Speaking lies and hypocrisy. Hypocrites everywhere. Hypocrisy is a facade that we put on. Caring when you don't care. You know, sometimes they would invite the Pharisees over to uh, mourn their dead. And the Bible talks about ripping of your clothing. Do you guys know that when they're fasting and so forth? Do you know when they were coming over, this is a historical fact, they were ripped their clothes at the seam so they can sew it back up together? They didn't care about the mourning. They were just putting on a show, that they're acting like they're really mourning. They're tearing up their clothing and so forth. But they were just putting on a show. They're being righteous on the outside when of unrighteousness on the inside and again look at verse 1 it says beware of practicing your righteousness it says doesn't do it, you know it doesn't say don't do these things we have to practice righteousness and we'll talk about that here in a second it says don't do your acts before men to be noticed by them don't put on a show Your religion needs to be real. It needs to be genuine. And, folks, beware, take heed, is a flaming word, right? It's like beware. It's trying to get your attention. Beware. It can't be some sentimental issue or something. It's a soft matter. He tells us it's serious. And the reason it's serious, folks, well, we need to understand this in our lives because there are consequences. There's always consequences with sin, even forgiven sin. There's consequences. That's what we need to understand. And I think one of the most common sense in Christianity is we don't control our mouths and typically it leads to, leads to hypocrisy. And the Sermon on the Mount... Is designed to present to the Jewish people at the time in every generation after that the true standard of righteousness. I don't know if you were here for a Christmas Eve service or not, but that baby, you know, we see it as a baby on Christmas, but that's the holy God. Do we realize who that is? And He's presenting this true righteousness. And without this righteousness, you're not able to get into his kingdom. You know, he started out the Sermon on the Mount talking about, you know, the Beatitudes, the attitudes. Then he moved on to the influence of our righteousness. You know, he told us to be the light and the salt of the world. Then he moved into the elements, characteristics. But as we studied, we saw that the Pharisees' scribes didn't have any of that in their character. They weren't mourning over their own sin. They weren't meek. They weren't broken in spirit. They were definitely not hungering for righteousness because they already thought that they were righteous. They thought they already arrived. They weren't pure in heart. They weren't peacemakers. They weren't merciful. They weren't any of those things. And God says, unless your righteousness exceeds these holy people, you're not going to get into my kingdom. And again, he says, your influence of righteousness. You have to be salt and light because salt preserves, light gives direction, but they didn't do any of that. So he talked about these things in chapter 5 and verses 21 through 48 where he said, you heard it said, right? But I tell you, and he lifts the standard back up and he tells them what it truly means and makes them understand what the true righteousness is. And here in chapter 6 he's really is talking about the same thing. But there's a little twist that I want us to see as we continue our study in the next verses. Because when he's talking about righteousness in chapter 5 verses 21 through 28, right? He said in verse 20, you need to exceed the righteousness of their Pharisees and then he says, you heard it you heard it said, but here's what it is, you heard it said, here's what it is. So he's raising it back up So what he's talking about in chapter 5 is the righteousness that they taught. They were taught by the scribes and the Pharisees. And here in chapter 6, as you will see, he wants us to see the righteousness be in practice. Be in practice, put into practice. The practice or they live by. So chapter 5, pretty much you can say their theology, and chapter 6 will deal with their daily living. It says what he teaches, and this is what God teaches. In chapter 6, he says, this is how you worship, and you think about it. We'll just talk about those things, pray, fasting, and giving. It's all part of worship, how we relate to other people and giving. Prayer, how we relate to God, and really fasting is how we relate to our own self. He says, This is how you live, and this is how you practice. But now he's saying, God's standard's up here, not only in your teachings, but in your living. Standard is up here. You have now heard the proper teaching. That's not enough. Now you have to live out that proper teaching, right? In other words, when you put your religion into practice with what you have now, it's substandard. It doesn't meet the righteousness that I require. Morality, all those things, is just the whole system does not meet God's requirements. You know, some people think Christianity is all about what you do. Go to church, you give, you do those things, it becomes like a robot, right? They have, they have the teachings of what you need to do. Other people say, I don't need to associate myself with the church And all those Christians and so forth, I'll just live a good moral life. But that too, you have to have both. There's the balance. And folks, we do need to display our righteousness. And I wanted to look at here, we'll look in a second, what may seem like a contradiction of what Jesus was saying earlier to what he's saying now. Jesus is saying there's proper teaching, but there's also a place for giving, praying, fasting within the community. You know what you believe. You know how all those theology things now, but you have to live it out. And two have to go together. And folks, if you think about it, that's why I changed this sermon to be just an introduction to chapter six. He's introducing This whole system, this whole standard that nobody else have ever set in history of the world except God himself, of course. This whole entire system of theology, daily living. Go back to Matthew 5.20. It says, For I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's the superior part. But look at verses 2 in Matthew 6. So he says, you have to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, and we talked about it. You heard it said, it's their teaching, but this is what true teaching is, right? So he compared the teachings of the Old Testament to the, what scribes were teaching at the time. But now he says this in verse 2, Therefore, you do not do your charitable deed. Do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets. In verse 5 he says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrite. In verse 16 he says, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrite. So do you see in verse, chapter 5 he was saying this is what, The scribes and the Pharisees teach, but this is what God teaches? In chapter 6, he says, do not be like the hypocrites. This is the way they live. But who are the hypocrites? The scribes and the Pharisees. It's the same people. So now, not only you have to exceed their theology, you have to exceed their living. You can't be like the hypocrites. He's saying you have to practice your religion when you live it out, your spiritual life. It has to be superior to these scribes and the Pharisees who are considered these holy people. And think about it. They're the ones that had all the, you know, the five books, the Old Testament and so forth. Common people didn't, probably didn't even know how to read. And you expecting us to live out higher religious than them? So he's saying their theology is inaccurate, their practice of religion is inaccurate. Your standards are all too low. And I'm offering you a standard superior to everything where you can enter my kingdom. You know, sometimes I'm often faced with people that will say your Christianity is the only one that's correct. There's so many religions out there. How do you answer that question? Somebody tells you Christianity is the only way. I think I told you guys before, Jesus is the only way. And they say, well, you're narrow-minded. Well, you know who said it? Jesus said it. I'm just repeating what Jesus said. Jesus is the most narrow-minded person that you've ever heard of, really. He says, everything I say is true, everything else is false. That's it. I don't have to prove myself to you. Most narrow-minded person there. But Jesus is the only way. The only problem is he had facts also to back it up, didn't he? His life. And he says, I'm king. And somebody needs to wash away your sins, purify, give you a new nature so you can be fit into my kingdom. And I am that somebody